All right, well, good morning, everybody. Um, thank you guys for being here this morning on uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, who all is having a Super Bowl party tonight? Anybody? Raise your hands, because I need to know where to go tonight to crash some parties. Nobody. Wow. Okay. Well, um, right. All right. Well, good. I'm glad you guys are here, um, even though you're not having Super Bowl parties. Um, my name is Reggie, and I'm one of the uh, elders, pastors here at Redemption. And um, it occurred to me last night, um, out of the blue, that this church actually started several years ago uh, with our first public worship service on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, so it was a little bit of walking down memory lane last night and uh, just thinking about the last several years that this church has existed and... Um, what God has done and, and hopefully will continue to do through Redemption Church in the city uh, of Augusta. Um, this morning, the primary topic um, that we're going to be talking about is faith. We're continuing on through our series called Revealing Christ. Um, and this morning, we're looking very specifically at Matthew chapter 17. It's actually last Sunday of the Revealing Christ series, even though we'll continue in the book of Matthew. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at the topic of faith And when we talk about faith, sometimes I guess the idea of what faith is maybe gets a little confusing or a little ethereal, Uh, but just starting out, I want to make the point that faith is something that's innate to us. We get it. When you guys came in the room this morning, um, you came and you found a chair, you found your seat, and you sat down, and you didn't think whether or not the chair was going to hold you up because that's what a chair is supposed to do, right? In some sense, that's a demonstration of faith. About a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity, um, thanks to my in-laws actually, to, to travel with uh, my family, my wife and two girls to Aruba, which is a great place to go. And, uh, but I hate flying. And not only did I have to fly, I had to fly over water to get there. And so I just remember being so nervous and sitting on the plane and thinking about all the people that I had to put faith in that this plane was actually going to work and not dive straight into the water. Um, and I remember um, questioning the laws of physics and science while we were up in the air, like, how does this even work? Uh, but nonetheless, it was a demonstration of faith uh, for me to get on that plane with my family and fly somewhere else, um, putting faith in all those people who worked on the plane and all that other stuff. Faith is normal to us. It's something we get. When we talk about it in a Christian sense, when we talk about it as it relates to the Bible, sometimes we get a little confusing as to what we're talking about. But I want to make the point right off the bat that we actually get what faith is, even though we may not realize it. Um, Let's pray, and then we'll move on. God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for your son, Jesus, around whose name we can gather. Thank you for your word that we can go to this morning to learn about you, to be drawn to you. Um, God, over the next little while, as we spend some time looking at uh, Matthew chapter 17, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts and minds to draw us to yourself. Very specifically, God, I pray that Jesus would be lifted high, that we would be drawn to you. God, I recognize that as I stand on the stage and talk, that my words are of little importance. But God, your words, what you would speak to us, are of utmost importance. And so, God, I pray that we would hear from you. I pray that you would use me as an instrument of your grace and mercy, an instrument of the gospel, an instrument of your love, that you would be honored and glorified, that we would be drawn to you because of that. And God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 17. 
Um, the passage will be up here on the screen as well. But Matthew chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 14 uh, and look at a few verses following that. Last week, Ben spoke about the verses immediately preceding this passage, which is about the transfiguration uh, of Jesus when he goes up on the mountaintop with a few of his disciples. His divinity is revealed in a very um, dramatic way. And so this is happening right after they come down the mountain. Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 23. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. This week, as I was preparing for this passage, let me go ahead and tell you that I was pretty lost in the weeds, trying to figure out where to go with this passage and what Jesus is getting at and and what we should look at. And so I have to right off the bat, say I'm greatly indebted uh, to this guy named Daniel Aiken, who is the president of Southeastern Baptist Seminary, uh, for his notes on this passage. Um, And so, like I said, though, I think the main point of this passage and the main thing that Jesus would have us uh, hear or want us to hear this morning is about faith and about dependency on Jesus. And so that's what we're going to examine As I said, this passage follows immediately after the transfiguration of Jesus when he's up on the mountain with his disciples. It is literally a quote-unquote mountaintop experience where they're up on the mountain. Some incredible things happen. Um, His disciples come face-to-face with Jesus in all of his glory. Moses and Elijah are there. And now they come down the mountain, and then it turns into a valley experience. It's no longer a high. It's a very low experience. The disciples have failed dramatically. It's something that they attempted to do, and they failed in front of a crowd. And from the book of Mark, we know that there were some religious leaders present. Uh, The crowd is there, the disciples are there, and they just, they fail. And Jesus says to them, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? If Jesus were to walk through those doors right now and say those things to us, like, would that not be incredibly gut-wrenching? Would that not hurt? It would hurt to the core to hear those words from Jesus face to face. And that's exactly what Jesus says to to his disciples and to the people present. It's gut-wrenching. And so these disciples right away after Jesus comes down from the mountain, are confronted with the reality of a very hard life and a very hard world, a broken world, a world where Satan, sin, and death still have power over those who are not connected to Jesus. 
And the littleness of their faith is contrasted directly against the faith of this father who's bringing his son to Jesus. And then to top it all off, after Jesus is so direct in his confrontation of them, he says to them, and now I've got to go to Jerusalem and I've got to die because Satan, sin, and death still reign in this world. It's a difficult thing to deal with. It's a hard passage. But there are three things that I want us to grasp from this passage right off the bat. This is what they are, and then I'm going to dive into them. Number one, we never advance beyond our need for Jesus. Number two, we never advance beyond our need for active faith in Jesus. And number three, we never advance beyond our need for prayer to Jesus. We never advance beyond our need for Jesus and the truth of his gospel. Mountaintop experiences are wonderful As Christians, we love them, right? As Christians, we love to get away. We love to go on a retreat, to spend some time somewhere else, to hang out, to get our spiritual batteries recharged, to be on vacation, in in essence. We like to be away. We like to get fed, right? We like to go hear people tell us things. We like to go to retreats and conferences and all these other things. And we like to show up somewhere and get fed, But the truth and the reality of life is that God never intended for us to stay away in a time of rest. God intended for us to go into the valley where people are hurting, where people need Jesus, where we're faced with the realities of life. Too often as Christians, our mistake is not that we don't know enough. Our mistake is that we know too much and we just want to know more. And we just want to continue to eat at the Golden Corral buffet of the gospel, which... We can never hear too much about the gospel, but you understand the point I'm making. Our problem is too often we just want to stay somewhere and get large. We want to be at the feeding trough rather than actually getting down into the valley. But I think God really wants us down in the valley, advancing the gospel and ministering to people who are hurting and who need Jesus. He wants us living and serving real people, living with and serving real people who are devastated by the ravages of the fall and sin, just like this father in Matthew chapter 17. As his agents of redemptive love, we do those things in his name and we're promised that he will be with us, right? That's what Matthew promises us. To forget our need for Jesus is to open ourselves up to all sorts of difficulty, challenges, and even failure. Failure just like the disciples saw. We never advance beyond our need for, Je- for Jesus. This story, when we see it in the, book of Nar- in the book of Mark, it shows up in Mark as well, in Mark chapter 9. Uh, like I said, there are a couple of things added to this story, uh, one of which is that the disciples, the crowd, the scribes are present, the father's present. Jesus comes down um, from the mountain. The disciples have tried to heal the child. They could not. And their failure is spectacular right in front of everyone. Their their failure reflected badly on them. It reflected badly on the name of Jesus because they were his followers. And Jesus is tough and direct in his rebuke of them. Like I said a minute ago, he calls them a faithless and twisted generation. And then he adds these two rhetorical questions. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? One scholar has said that these rhetorical questions express the loneliness and the anguish of the one authentic believer in a world where there is only unbelief. 
and a lack of faith. Another says that this passage vividly captures the pressures and frustrations of Christ's life. On the mountaintop, he had been faced with the spiritual short-sightedness of his disciples, and now he's confronted with their unbelief, their littleness of faith. We learn later in this passage And we'll talk more about it in a second, but it's sufficient to say that the disciples' faith probably wasn't pointed in the right direction. It wasn't directed where it needed to be. And so they attempted to do something and they failed. But here's the lesson for us. When we're separated from Jesus, when we turn our eyes from Jesus, when we attempt to do things on our own, when we attempt to do things in our own power, in our own way, we will normally get in trouble and we will normally experience a crisis. That's a gospel truth right there. We never advance beyond our need for Jesus. And that is on dramatic display in this passage. This is exactly what the disciples did. Number two, we never advance beyond our need for active faith in Jesus. Look back at verses 19 and 20. In those verses, we read this. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. A grain of mustard seed, a mustard seed is incredibly tiny. Has anybody ever seen one? You can go to Food Lion or Kroger and go down the spice aisle and you can see the little little cup of mustard seeds. They're incredibly tiny, and so... When Jesus says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. So how much faith did the disciples need? How much did they really need? Was the issue here that they did not believe hard enough? Was the issue here that they did not possess enough of something? And I would say, no, that's not really the problem here. Jesus does say, if you have faith, just a tiny amount of faith you will be able to do these things. Incredibly a tiny amount of faith. And you know what? The disciples actually displayed faith in something, right? Because they actually tried. They tried to heal this guy. They did something. They were active. I'm reminded of a friend of mine who um, was a youth speaker, used to tell the story of the first time he went bungee jumping, um, that he climbed up the big ladders, climbed up the big ladder to get to the top of the place that he was going to bungee jump off of. And he gets to the top, and there's the person up there that's waiting to strap him into the harness uh, so that he could jump off. And the guy's wearing a shirt that says, shut up and jump. Don't, don't talk about it. Don't tell me how scared you are. Put on the harness, shut up, and jump. And that's essentially what the disciples hear. They, they jumped. They did something. They displayed faith in something. So what did they do wrong? The book of Mark expounds on this passage a little bit or expounds on this story in a way that Matthew doesn't. Mark chapter 9, verses 20 through 24. If you want to turn there, you can. I think these will be up on the screen as well. Mark chapter 9, verses 20 through 24. This is what it says. They brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. 
And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? The key here for the father and the key here for where the disciples went sideways all relates to the direction of their faith. We know that's the key because the disciples' faith is directly contrasted against the father's faith in this passage. When Jesus says, bring the boy to him, it's an imperative statement. It's a command. Jesus isn't messing around any longer. Bring the boy to me. And the father turns to Jesus and says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus um, responds there. The, father, the Father's faith, however small, however doubting, is pointed at Jesus. And he says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. We don't know where the disciples' faith was pointed but it probably wasn't pointing at Jesus. Not like this father's faith was. And he looks at Jesus and he says, help my unbelief. The man's faith is weak and small, but his faith is looking in the right direction and asking the right person for help. His faith is pointed at Jesus, the only place that it can be pointed So faith isn't just believing in something. Faith is an active event where somebody actually looks to Jesus. When you look at faith as it's used in the New Testament, you see that faith is a belief and a behavior commitment to Jesus. It's a belief and a behavior commitment to Jesus. In the New Testament, it's a double-faceted reality, a response to Christ that is both intellectual and relational. It's belief and action. It's belief and action that is focused on Jesus. It's not mere assent to something, nor is it a commitment to anything other than Christ. It's not just mental assent. It's something that's active. And furthermore, it's something that's active and that is directed to Jesus and to Jesus alone. So we talk about faith. When we talk about faith, when Jesus talks about faith here, that's what we're talking about. It's faith that's focused not on who we imagine God to be, but faith that's focused actually on God. It's faith that's focused actually on Jesus. Not who we want Jesus to be, not some imaginary God that we've made up, exactly who God is and faith in him. It's active and it's focused directly on Jesus. Early in this passage, Jesus calls the disciples and the people present twisted and faithless. Twisted and faithless. Faith is twisted and faithless when it merely assents to something. When we focus on an image of God that we've created in our mind rather than the true God revealed in the scriptures. It's twisted and faithless when we focus on a twisted gospel rather than the truth of the gospel. Our faith is twisted and faithless when we're not praying, when we're separated from God and acting on our own, when we're not seeking Jesus and his word, when we're not abiding in the truth of the gospel daily, when we're not pointed at Jesus, our faith is twisted 
Tim Keller has said, the gospel is a pool in which a toddler can wade and an elephant can swim. Our eyes and our focus should be on Jesus and the truth of Jesus, regardless of what it is we're doing, regardless of what we're headed in, regardless of what direction we're headed in or what we're doing, we should always be pointed at Jesus. And don't think for a minute that it's impossible for us to fall that it's impossible for us to fall prey to these mistakes the mistakes that the disciples made of looking somewhere else whatever else it was they were looking at don't think for a minute it's impossible for us to do the same thing it happens to us regularly it happens to these disciples and it's a truth that we need to be aware of both um, as individuals as families as a church whatever it might be If you paid attention to social media this week, there was a lot of attention paid to a guy named Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass is a pretty famous abolitionist in our nation, a Christian who spoke out against the horrors of the sins of our nation. And there's a lot of chatter on social media this week, mainly because of the way he was mentioned in a speech And as the chatter was happening online, I was reminded of a quote from Frederick Douglass that I read a while back, and I had to go look it up and figure out where it was. And Douglass was speaking around our country and actually around the world regarding the need for the abolition of slavery in our nation. And he was contrasting the fact that as uh, Christians, Americans would willingly send missionaries to foreign lands to convert the heathen but we would ignore the plight of slaves in our own land. And so he would travel around the country and the world and make these contrasts. And people would ask him whether or not he was hurting the cause of Christ by talking about these things. Listen to what he said. This is from a speech that he gave. Douglas, are you not afraid of injuring the cause of Christ? You do not desire to do so, we know, but are you not undermining religion? This has been said to me again and again, but I cannot be induced to leave off these exposures. I love the religion of our blessed Savior. It is because I love this religion that I hate the slave-holding, the woman-whipping, the mind-darkening, the soul-destroying religion that exists in the southern states of America. Here's my point. When we twist the gospel to mean what we want it to mean, when we twist the gospel to support our own causes, to justify our own positions, to justify our own actions, to justify our own wealth, or whatever it might be, when we do those things, we are turning our eyes away from Jesus. We create a Christianity that is mind-darkening and soul-destroying. And don't think for a minute that making mistakes like this don't have dramatic effects. They do. We create a Christianity that is mind-darkening and soul-destroying. When our faith is not focused on Jesus, when it is not active, and we are not focused on the truth of the gospel and the truth of who God is and what he would have for us. When we focus our faith on anything other than Jesus... We end up with a faith that leads to failure and defeat, a faith that will crush our souls and destroy our minds. It's imperative that our faith be directed at Jesus and Jesus alone. We can go off track. 
It's happened in my life. It's happened in this church. It's happened in our nation. It's probably happened in your life. We can go off track with where our faith is pointed, and there are dramatic consequences when we do that. We see that in the life of the disciples. We've seen that in the life of our nation. We will see that in the life of our church if our faith is not pointed at Jesus and Jesus alone. We don't want to end up like the disciples in this passage, looking somewhere other than to Jesus and damaging the cause of a Christ rather than advancing it. Our faith must be active, but it must be pointed in the right direction. Our eyes must be looking to Jesus and Jesus alone, right? The key here is dependency, a gospel dependency on Jesus. In verse 24 of the story that I read, like I said, the father said, I believe, help my unbelief. You got to love his honesty and his humility. I know that my faith is weak, Jesus. My faith is partial. My faith is incomplete. But you're the only person I can turn to. And however much little faith I have, God, help my unbelief. The man essentially says, if you don't deliver my son, then he will not be delivered. I have nowhere else to turn. So help me believe, Jesus. Help me, in spite of me, to be focused on you. That leads me to my final point. Number three, we never advance beyond our need for prayer. And the ESV version of the Bible, which is what I've been reading from this morning, in Matthew chapter 17, if you have an ESV version as well, I don't know what you use, But Matthew 17, verse 21, doesn't exist. And the ESV version of the Bible, and some others as well, it goes straight from Matthew 17, 20 to 22, and verse 21 is left out. The reason for that is that in the uh, oldest historical manuscripts we have of the New Testament, Matthew 17, 21 doesn't actually exist in those manuscripts. It does exist in Mark, Mark chapter 9, verse 29. That's the parallel verse to Matthew 17, 21. And so the thinking is that because Mark is probably the oldest written gospel that some scholar somewhere added the verse from Mark to Matthew because it's a complement to the story. Um, but Mark 9, 29 does exist in the earliest historical manuscripts we have of the New Testament. The disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, why could we not heal this boy? Why could we not cast out this demon? And Jesus says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The point Jesus makes has to do with why the disciples failed. A lack of direction and a lack of prayer. It translates to a lack of focus on Jesus and a lack of looking to Jesus. And I've already stated over and over, we get in trouble when we look anywhere other than to Jesus. Looking anywhere other than to Jesus has dramatic effects, more so than we even realize. Self-sufficiency may be viewed as a great strength by the world, but it is deadly to our spiritual lives. It is deadly to our church. It is deadly to our faith. The disciples failed, and they failed big time. It was public. It probably became the source of ridicule in that moment as the crowds are arguing about why the disciples failed. It cast doubt on their master and their mission, and it filled them with self-doubt. When they come to Jesus in Matthew 17, verse 19, why, and ask why they couldn't heal the boy, 
Their question betrays a sense of confidence in their own strengths and their own abilities. It suggests a spirit of pride because they should be able to do this because they've probably done it before, but it didn't work this time. Prayer, right? It seems so simple, and yet we avoid it so much, right? In my life, Prayer is the most difficult spiritual discipline to practice. It is incredibly difficult. We're busy, we're focused on everything else in the world, and to take a few minutes a day and set them aside to just pray seems so difficult. But if we go about the fight and the struggle of the Christian life in our own strength, on our own power, with our own sense of pride and self-sufficiency, We have lost the battle before it ever begins. Faith is what bridges the gap between divine omnipotence and human weakness. And faith is experienced and exercised through prayer. Prayer is so important in the life of Christians. Prayer is so important in the life of our church, our families, whatever it might be. Why is it that prayer is such a difficult spiritual discipline? And I think, like I said, because faith bridges the gap between divine omnipotence and human weakness, and faith is experienced and exercised through prayer, and it's so difficult for us to make that connection and to do those things and to depend on Jesus rather than ourselves. Could it be that our lack of Prayer Could it be that our lack of focus on Jesus is why we don't see greater things happening in our lives, our cities, our families, in our nation, and in our world? Could it be? Jesus points his disciples to put their faith in him. Jesus points his disciples to understand their need for, the, for him. And Jesus points his disciples to prayer. Paul reminds us in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, uh, to pray without ceasing, to pray without ceasing. We're reminded to pray. It's so important. It's so essential to the life of a Christian. So if you're here this morning, this is what I want you to hear from me more than anything else. I want your faith to be directed at Jesus. I want your eyes to be pointed at Jesus. I want your faith to be active I want Jesus to be the direction where your eyes are focused. But I want you to pray. I simply just want you to pray. To connect your faith to divine omnipotence through prayer. I'm asking you to pray. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do anything else. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, um, that's all I'm asking you to do. Pray. I don't care what that looks like for you. A minute a day, five minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. Pray. It's so essential. It's so important. If you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, this is what I want you to see, is that life is difficult. Life is incredibly difficult. We, our world is, is ravaged by the effects of Satan, sin, and death. But we're reminded at the end of this passage in verse 22 and 23, Jesus says to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, what I want you to understand is that Jesus willingly sacrificed himself on your behalf because our world is so broken 
and so desperately in need of salvation from Jesus. If you're here and you're a follower of Christ, I just want you to pray. If you're not here, I mean, if you're, you're not here. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I simply want you to understand what Jesus did on your behalf to counteract the effects of Satan's sin and death, to defeat them forever, that we might be directly connected to him, that we might be able to look to him in faith daily. We're going to close our time together in a time of response like we do every Sunday. And this is what's going to happen in a second. The band's going to come back up here. They're going to lead us in some songs and give us the opportunity to worship through singing. So I would invite you to do that if that's where God has you this morning. I would also invite you, if where God has you is to sit right where you are and pray, reflect, deal with whatever it is that God is dealing you with, with you on right now, whatever it might be that's going on in your heart and mind, to sit where you are and pray and deal with those things. Uh, also, during this time, there'll be uh, one or two people in the back who will pray with you. Uh, if you have something that you want to pray about, something that you want to know more about, they'll talk with you, pray with you, whatever it might be. Um, there's a giving basket in the back where you can continue to worship by uh, giving tithes and offerings. You can do that in the back. And also during this time as well, we'll celebrate communion. Every Sunday here at Redemption, we celebrate communion. Uh, we come down this middle aisle, tear off the bread, dip it in the wine or juice, and so remember the body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Here's why we do that. We do that and we come forward and we take communion because in doing that, we're remembering what Christ has done and we're proclaiming to one another that we believe it. We're expressing our faith in the truth of the gospel. We're remembering and we're proclaiming. So if you're here and you can do that, you can come forward and remember what Christ has done and proclaim that you believe it, then I'd invite you to do that. If that's not something you could do, I would encourage you to stay um, right where you are. But if you're here, whether you're a member of Redemption or not, and you want to celebrate communion and remember what Christ has done and proclaim that you believe it, then I would invite you to do that. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move on. God, thank you for the opportunity we've had so far uh, to spend some time singing, to spend some time in your word, uh, to be challenged, to look to you, to be challenged, to pray, to be reminded of, our, of your sacrifice on our behalf. And I pray that during our time of response, even now that you would continue to draw us to yourself, that Christ would be lifted high, uh, that Jesus would be the center of our attention, and that we would be drawn to you because of that. And God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.